And some of the most difficult passages that we have to come up against are these passages we've looked at the last few weeks. And that's because these passages deal with the punishment for sin. It's uncomfortable, and we we have come across that multiple times in the book of Genesis so far. Adam and Eve are sent from the presence of God in the garden, and because of their sin, the entire world is impacted by the fall, a harsh punishment for sin. And the punishment there isn't that our first parents are just banished from the garden. They are now going to die. Again, like I said, that's a very harsh punishment a punishment for sin. And we also saw with Cain being punished and exiled away from the presence of God, a harsh punishment. And the judgment we see on the largest scale in Genesis is the flood. This punishment for sin is well known. And while our mental image of the flood is probably a cute depiction that we would get from a children's Bible, you know, with the cute giraffe sticking its neck out the window and and animals all over the place. When you stop and you look at those pictures, you can't avoid the truth that beneath those waters are the drowned remains of those who were caught up in the judgment of God. Now we also saw another judgment in Genesis at the Tower of Babel when the people were scattered for disobeying God. Not nearly as difficult to think about, but it's still a severe punishment for disobedience against God. And we really, truly struggle with the idea of punishment. We don't want to be punished, and chances are that when you have to punish someone yourself, it's painful for you. You have to do it, but you don't want to. You probably had an incident where you had to discipline your child or a student or an employee And your stomach is in knots. You hate that you are in this position and you you look at them and all you can think is, why? Why did you do this? You don't only put yourself in this situation, but you put me in this situation. Why did they have to do that thing that made you have to discipline them? And the thought even probably crosses your mind. Why don't I just let this slide? But you can't. Because there are rules, and they need to be enforced. It's hard to do, but when there is a clear violation, action has to be taken in order for there to be rules and order that matters. Last week, we saw the angels who went from Abraham down to Sodom, and we observed the sin and depravity there on a grand scale. As we wrapped up that passage, I said that we see something important throughout this whole story. Lot was concerned that the angels would be saved from the mob by him, right? He wanted to protect them from the mob. But we're going to see that the real concern is not that Lot would save the angels from the mob, but that the angels are saying, No, the real problem here is that you and your family need to be saved from the wrath of God. And that's the theme that is going to come out as we work our way through this text. There's a lot of sadness in this passage, but it's my hope that we come away with a better understanding of the righteousness of God, but also His mercy. 
Now to do this, we're going to divide the passage up into three main points like we usually do. And our first point is that the angels are looking to save Lot and his family. And we've seen something like this before in Genesis. It sounds very familiar to us as we have looked at this reading. Sounds very familiar to Noah and his family. It isn't just Lot here that is going to be spared, but Lot and his family. There's a major difference between the two stories. And we're going to see this. Lot and his family are hesitant. But we get none of that from the story of Noah. And we'll see that this hesitance ends up being costly and has ramifications for Lot's family as the story moves forward. Secondly, we see that Lot's family is rescued from the wrath of God. Despite nearly everything they do, they are rescued from the judgment. And in fact, judgment is restrained until they reach safety. Lastly, we are going to see that judgment comes. The promised judgment upon Sodom rains down wrath from above, and it is all-consuming. Just as in the flood, everything is destroyed. And at the end of the passage, we see that Abraham is able to see the aftermath. But God remembered Abraham, and Lot is spared. And so for our first point, we look at the rescue that is promised to Lot as we find ourselves in verses 12 through 14. We land right in the middle of this story, picking up from where we were last week. They have just rescued Lot from the mob. And they are preparing him for the coming judgment. They are going to not only spare Lot, but they are also going to spare his family. And notice this important aspect of this. They are looking for Noah's family. Notice Do you have any family? Do you have any more daughters, any sons, any sons-in-law? They're looking for anyone that's connected to their family. Even if they aren't in the home, they want to spare the family of Lot. And the reason for this gathering of the family is very clear. They're about to destroy Sodom. This is going to be all-consuming. There needs to be an exit because there is no place for them to be spared. They need to be rescued. And we see that this judgment is a long time coming. It isn't just the threat of rape and mob violence against these angels. It's because of the outcry against the people that has come before God. And it is great. This isn't an isolated incident. And it isn't because the angels feel particularly wronged in this circumstance. They came to investigate something, an outcry by people to the Lord. Now stop for a moment and think about what this means. People were calling out to God against the injustice and immorality in Sodom. Just as Abraham knew that there was unrighteousness there when he was bargaining with God to spare the city, other people clearly knew about it too. And they cried out, for justice and wanted God to intervene. And God heard these cries and sent the angels to investigate and intervene to save the family of Abraham's nephew. 
But while Lot seems to get what's going on, that there's evil going on here, and he's trying to save the angels from it, we kind of get an idea that his son, sons-in-law don't seem to quite get the gravity of all that's happening. Now, this likely isn't the first time a son-in-law has thought his father-in-law was a little off of his rocker. And it most assuredly won't be the last, obviously. But what do you feel when you read this? I look at it and I think, you fools, escape from the wrath to come. Flee this place and run to the refuge that is being offered to you. And then I stop and I think, isn't this the story when it comes to judgment of any kind? Isn't the call to repent always greeted by hesitance and feeling like, ah, we know better. When I hear the commands to turn from my sin, do I flee from it? Or do I think I got this managed? Or do I think I won't be punished for my disobedience and my unbelief? It's humbling to think about, but at some point, each and every one of us have been like Lot's future sons-in-law. Do we believe that judgment is real? Do we think the word of God calling us to repentance is off base? Do we think it's out of date? You get my point. We need to make sure that we are not like these men. And instead, hear the call to repent and daily take up our cross and flee to the refuge that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have seen that the angels are calling Lot's family to flee to safety. And now as we move on to our second point, we will see how Lot's family is spared. As the sun comes up, the urgency that the angels have is increased. They've given up clearly on the sons-in-law and he tells Lot to get out of there with his wife and daughters. And you notice the warning increases also. If you don't get out of here, you are going to be swept away. Do you not understand? And the message is that this is real, Lot. This is real. This, is, this isn't a joke. Judgment is coming. And if you don't get out, you will be swept away too. But we have another one of those what in the world moments that we come across in the Bible. We just can't believe that the characters do what they do sometimes, can we? And here, what do we see? Lot lingers around. Why? What's going on? Now, in my study this past week, some commentators suggested that he hung out there as long as he did because he had wealth, he had influence in Sodom. We, we saw this last week when he was at the gate. That was a sign of influence. And I guess that makes sense. And it's probably the best answer. But still, if this was a movie and you were watching this drama unfold, you'd yell, run you fool! That is if you're the type of person who yells at your TV screen. No amount of money or influence, when we look at it from the outside, is worth the risk that Lot is taking. Now even though in this chapter of Genesis, Lot is 
painted as righteous for his hospitality, the way he takes care of the angels. Really, what we're seeing now is consistent with what we know about Lot on the whole. He doesn't seem to be too concerned about the things of God. Even though he was in trouble and needed to be rescued before, he still goes back to Sodom, away from Abraham, and therefore away from the presence of God. And we don't know the why. We don't know why Lot does does this. But we see that this trend in his life is to not be too concerned with the things of God. And so his salvation is going to require a radical, divine rescue. And that's what we see here, right? The, the Lord was merciful to him because the angels seized him and drug his sorry bones outside the city. Again, you fools, escape from the wrath to come. Get out of there. But they don't. And God is good to his promise to the covenant people of Abraham's family. And the angels bring Lot's family outside the city. Now this is a picture for us of how being spared from the wrath of God works. The New Testament describes us as being dead in our trespasses and sins. And dead people can't move and they can't rescue themselves. They're dead. And the idea is that in our rebellion, we aren't going to move towards God. We won't escape the wrath that is to come on our own. In fact, we will linger like Lot did. We will linger in our sin. We will linger in our unbelief. And so we need to be laid hold of by God and rescued just as Lot and his family were. Our sin is too appealing. And unless God lays hold of us and brings us to faith through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will linger. And no matter how much someone yells at us, you fools, flee from the wrath to come. We will just stand there, oblivious to the truth. But in his grace, God has come to us and laid hold of us and pulled us outside his wrath in Jesus Christ. And we are saved by grace through faith despite our rebellion because he is gracious and merciful to his covenant people. But there is more, so much more to this story. The angels tell Lot to flee to the hills or he will be swept away. Now, the light seems to have come on for Lot because he realizes the urgency of the matter and he's concerned that he won't be able to escape the coming judgment. And so he requests that a small city be a refuge for him. And once again, God is merciful and he spares this city. And we've seen that the angels desire to save Lot's family and then we saw how they did it. And now as the passage closes up and we move on to our third point for today, we see what the wrath of God looks like at Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see this judgment. And it's actually painful to think about. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire out of heaven. What an unbelievably terrifying and terrible image. 
just as there was no place to escape from the waters of the flood, there was no place in Sodom to escape the fire and sulfur from heaven. Indoors or outdoors, you are going to experience the wrath of God. And notice the thoroughness that the text wants us to understand. It not only burned up the inhabitants of Sodom, but also what grew on the ground. And then we are given a sobering detail of what happens when Lot's wife continues in her hesitancy in fleeing the wrath of God. She looks back and we read that she became a pillar of salt. And this is a, this is a very humbling thing. They were reluctant to leave. She fell behind and she disobeyed the clear instructions from the angels not to look back. And the ramifications of that disobedience was that she was engulfed in the destruction herself. And it's a humbling reminder to listen to the word of God and don't look back. And as we finish up this passage this morning, we see that these events do not go unobserved by Abraham. He had pled for God to spare the cities, but with the way he did it, the way Abraham bargained with God there, he likely knew, he likely knew that judgment was going to come. And so we switch in the story to Abraham's perspective and we get the wide view. There is smoke everywhere. The destruction and judgment of God was absolute. And we see the reason that we've zoomed in to Lot to see this story in Sodom and then zoomed back out to Abraham. In the judgment of Sodom, Lot was spared because God remembered Abraham. He showed covenant faithfulness to Abraham in this divine rescue of Lot. And so as we move on to look for application, I want to come back to the justice of God before we do. As terrible as the judgment of God is here, and in other places in the book of Genesis and in other parts of the Bible, as difficult as it is for us to look at and talk about, it is actually a good thing. When we look at the world, and it feels as though evil goes unchecked so often, we want something to be done. And it never happens, right? Humans are frail, and justice often never happens. But we see here, and we see in other passages of judgment throughout Scripture, we see that God does, in fact, punish sin and evil. Sin does not triumph. But that's not good news for us, necessarily, when we stop and think about it. Because it means that our sin is punished. It's not just the sins of others. The big sins that we decide are the worst that are judged. All sin, all sin is punished. But there is good news. The greatest proof, the greatest proof, the sin doesn't triumph, is that God poured out his wrath on Jesus for us. God can't just let sin slide. He can't just say, yeah, you know, that's terrible. That's an affront to my holiness. I'll, I'll just let it go. He can't do that. He has to punish sin. But we see in the cross that God is also merciful. 
Because Jesus took on our very own flesh to be our divine rescue. And we know that God takes sin seriously because Jesus paid the price for it. Despite our rebellion, despite our unbelief, God lays hold of us and he takes us away from his wrath in Jesus Christ. He gives us this great gift of faith to rescue us from the wrath that is to come. And with these truths in mind, we come to our application for this week. The first thing that we need to remember is that we must flee from the wrath to come. We need to understand the gravity of our sin Understand that our only hope is fleeing to Christ and resting in his finished work for us. Knowing that God takes sin seriously, we can't think that he will grade on a curve or think our sin doesn't matter as much as the sin of others. When we are convicted of our sin, we can't explain it away or justify it. Instead, we must run to Christ and run to the forgiveness that he offers. And the Holy Spirit works in our lives to convict us of sin. And that's good news for us too, because it drives us to repent and trust in Christ alone for our salvation so that we might daily take up our cross and follow him. And this brings us to our second takeaway from this week. Don't look back. It's easy for us to talk about fleeing to Christ But I think each and every one of us is so prone to look back. We look back to our sin. And just as bad, we might even look back to trusting in ourselves to save ourselves by our own works. Hoping that we can earn favor before God on our own. And so for us, not looking back means turning away from our sin. It means that we rest in Christ alone for our salvation, trusting that by grace, through faith, and not by our own works, we have been saved. Each day we awake to live our lives in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. We don't wake up hoping to earn God's favor, but instead we trust that we already have it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we look forward and don't look back. We keep moving forward to him and his rescue that he has blessed us with. And we don't look back to our sin or our own works. Instead, we look to the sure refuge that we have in him so that we might escape the wrath to come. And it's with that in mind that you come to the table this morning. You come not hoping to merit anything on your own, but instead to celebrate the truth that our covenant God is faithful to keep his promise to us. And it's a sign that we're continuing to move toward him because he is our refuge. He is our strength. And so as you take the elements this morning, trust that you have found a refuge in Christ, the one who, whose body was broken And blood was shed for you. Rest in that. And in the divine rescue that he has brought you in his great salvation. Amen.